the 62nd Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital, magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Dr. Antonia Yamanaki, who is a lecturer in robotics at the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Bristol Robotics Lab in the University of Bristol. She's also the chair of the advisory board for women in robotics. She shares her passion for all things robotic and discusses her research interests in areas such as healthcare and space. Inesh Santos is away, so I'll be talking you through the new content in the written issue again on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Dr. Antonia Gemanaki, and she is a lecturer in robotics at the Bristol Robotics Lab at the University of Bristol. Hi, Antonia, how are you doing? I'm great. It's good to be here and thank you very much for having me. Well, we hear great things about you, so I'm really excited to be chatting with you today about all things robotics. What we're going to do, if that's okay, is we're going to start off by asking you a bit about your educational background and your career to date and how you got into robotics. Right. So I suppose I've had a bit of a straightforward path into this from education and just continued because I really like learning and teaching and being in the rich environment of academia. So I started with my MEng in electrical and computer engineering. That was back in Greece where I'm from. So that was about a five-year degree, so integrated master's and bachelor's. And after I finished that, I wasn't feeling really quite ready to understand what's next for me so a mentor i had at the time said well if you're in doubt just continue to study (laughs) obviously that's a bit of a privileged thing to do but i was in a good point to do that so i came to bristol and i did an msc in robotics Um, and then i realized then that yeah i think i need to continue this i really like that sort of environment the research and the learning again so i then started doing a phd in medical robotics at that time uh, and so on continued through the various levels of academia, become a research associate, a research fellow, and then finally a lecturer. That was originally at the University of the West of England, and a year and a half later, I think, at the University of Bristol, where I am for the past about four years now. So to continue answering that question, I really liked computers originally, but then during my undergrad, I got introduced to robotics, and I thought, well, that's quite interesting. That's quite uh, little bit cooler than just computers so basically it's a computer that does more things in a way so yeah I realized that robotics can be used for various things anything from a game to something more serious and I thought oh you know what they can actually change society they can actually transform society through healthcare perhaps and this is how I got into medical robotics really Uh uh-huh Fantastic. And we'll talk a little bit later about your specific research interests as well, because there's quite a few different aspects to those. So quite excited to hear about those. And you do a lot of stuff to support women in robotics as well, just because that's partly how we got in touch. Yeah, well, since 2016, I think, was the start. A colleague of mine 
Dr. Sabine Howard and I started the Women Robotics Network here locally in the southwest of England. It's worldwide, but it started in Silicon Valley in the USA. So we had been running this the past six years, seven years, and I was mostly the organizer for it. But for the past year and a year and a half, I've passed the torch on to a few of the PhD students in the lab, which they're doing an amazing job. So I'm still sort of advising them, but really it's all the work now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's a group of great women. So we look forward to following the progress. They're doing amazing work and the goal is really all about getting together women that are working or are interested in working in robotics and they're they're organizing networking events, they're organizing talks, they're have a peer support system where they teach each other. They even had some events where they sort of took pictures of all the women in robotics and with, with robots in the pictures so that was all, a lot of fun really. Oh, well, what we'll do for our part, as much as we can help and support, and we will put links in the show notes, to the relevant pages as well on the web. And in terms of your role at the University of Bristol on a day-to-day basis, if we were trying to imagine you, what would we be imagining you doing? Day-to-day basis at the University of Bristol. I have an interesting week, really, because I now have a 14-month-old baby. I work compressed hours, and this is really a great thing that the university allows me to do flexible working. So I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So I don't work on Wednesdays and the rest of my days are a bit longer. But that allows me to be with my baby. So the rest of the days now, because everything is compressed and packed, are at the moment filled with a lot of meetings. So meetings for some teaching, meetings for some admin at University of Bristol, and then meetings obviously for research. And one of the things that I really enjoy most about this are when I discuss in the meetings with my research students. And this is when we sit down and we look at a little bit about the progress in the past week, any problems they encountered and any ideas they have on how to move forward. And we basically, this way, we keep in touch with research and we try to find ways to move forward. And this is the most interesting part because this is where we get to think about what we can do to use robotics to improve really society and healthcare and all the rest of the things that we do. But because I really believe the junior researchers usually have the best ideas, it's really good to interact with them because I get inspired by them as well. So, yeah, this is the best part of my day. Oh, well, you well, you sound incredibly enthusiastic about what you do. So you're a great ambassador for that as well. And in terms of your research interests, so could you tell us a little bit about the different areas that you've worked on? Yeah. So our group is called Dexterous Manipulation and Wearable Robotics, which is part of the Dexterous Robotics as an umbrella group of the Bristol Robotics Lab. And what we do is focus on the dexterity of the human hand because our respiration comes from it. As without our hand and the digits possibly, we wouldn't be able to interact with our environment. We wouldn't have evolved a species to the state that we have evolved at the moment to use tools and obviously make the rest of the technological advancement that we have. So when we say dexterous hand here, we mean the way that our fingers move. We mean the number of fingers we have in our hand, but we also mean the sense of touch. So putting all of these together, we apply then this research 
in various different areas. So one of the applications that we look is healthcare that includes surgery, diagnosis, physical therapy, such as physiotherapy, treatment in surgery and in treatment, but also we're looking at teleoperation. We use our hands to teleoperate usually. So we're looking at that again in surgery, but also in extreme environments, as we say. Uh, so extreme environments can be any environment that it can be dangerous for a human to be. So that includes anything from nuclear robotics as well as space robotics. So we're looking at, for example, for at a project for satellite maintenance using teleoperation with robotic devices. Why does diversity of thought in robotics make such a difference to moving things forward? Why is that so important? Diversity is the best thing in our society, really, isn't it? Without a diverse team, you will either not have great ideas or you will make something that is probably not fitting for most of the population of the world. So a good example of that that I've heard often being discussed is in our cars, right? We talk about health and safety. There's all these tests that are you know, done for the cars before they go to market. And then you buy a car, you buy, let's say, the standard version of the car and the belt doesn't really fit you if you're a woman, right? If you're maybe of a shorter build, it can actually be even more dangerous because it can just basically choke you if there's a sudden break or something. So to have something like that means that things originally were not designed with the output of all the entire population in mind. And, and this is what really is the responsibility perhaps of the researcher to make sure that the teams are as diverse as possible. It's all about inclusivity. So that of course means a team that has people from, if possible, all corners of the world, which I understand that society is not really built like that way necessarily, but we can do the best towards that goal. But also it means to make sure as research or as a leader of a team to include the end users. So in our case, end users can be anything between patients, surgeons, and operators of machinery. So we actually in our group do a lot of what we call participatory research. So we involve the end users as contributors, as equals to us. And we try to maintain contact with them throughout all projects. So we did a project on cancer research detection a couple of years ago. And through that project, we had monthly meetings with our contributors to try to, to show them what we're doing, our progress, and they get feedback from them constantly. And obviously, use the feedback to improve what we were doing. It's an interesting mindset as well, isn't it, Antonia, where it's not just about succeed or fail. The learning is as important in what you're doing. So nobody gets to success straight away. So it's about embracing the learning. Definitely, yeah. And in terms of the risks and opportunities of using more robotics in our lives, is it a risky thing that we're undertaking if we engage with robots more and utilise robots more? I mean, that's an interesting question. It's difficult to answer because obviously in the press and media, this is often asked and it, it is something that sometimes media sensationalize on this and they present things much worse than they are. And then people get scared. But then if you do go to a robotics lab around the world, you'll see that 90% of the times robots fail to do a simple thing. We're really at the start of trying to figure things out, no matter how much we try. And obviously you will see amazing things in many labs in the world, but even they have a lot of failures to do that. So I'm definitely a fan of science fiction as well. 
there's the positive and the more negative type of looking at this. And these things can inspire us, but also maybe we can use them instead as a warning instead. So it's really important that there's governments, I suppose, sit down and put strong regulations about all of these things. We have all this artificial intelligence now. Everywhere can use it, chat GPT and, and all that. And that raises really interesting questions, even from as simple as who is actually doing courseworks in a university. Is it the students? Are they using ChatGPT in an, in an ethical way? Are they using it too much? Because all these tools should be there to help us with our lives. But if we mistreat them, if we don't use them wisely, they will hinder us. Um, so if, for example, as a student, you use something like that to always answer questions for you, then you don't allow yourself the opportunity to learn. And if you don't allow this, then you won't grow as a person. You will always have things ready-made for you. But that said, I really think that there is a good opportunity to use all these tools to improve ourselves. And especially so that the things that are not important or are boring or not very creative can be done by artificial intelligence. And this is really what we're trying. So when, for example, I mentioned before robotic surgery, this doesn't mean that we can have a robot doing the surgery. We definitely still need surgeons. And this is more about robot-assisted surgery. It's about using robotics to support the surgeon in doing a better job, to have a better experience. And of course, then for the patient to have a better outcome. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I think there is this temptation in the media, isn't there? So I suppose I have to be partly accountable for that, but of this idea of robots versus us and this apocalyptic kind of futures, whereas in actual fact, if you're using yeah. the technology and you're using it appropriately and it's adding value to what we're doing, then it's got this incredible potential to just change everybody's lives for the better in a good way. Exactly, exactly. This is what I've been saying. So robotic in my point of view, in our group's point of view, it's not only about making things better and faster. It's about improving lives. And it's about putting the human in the center of all of this, seeing how we can make our services more inclusive, possibly, and more accessible. And in terms of careers, okay. Antonia, what's your advice to people who are interested in robotics, but maybe they're not quite sure how to get started, which areas that they're interested in. How do you find your interest in robotics? What are some good tools that you can use to help decide and help learn? So I think, I mean, there are various things that you can do and different things with different people. I think the most important thing for someone to start is to really understand their passion and what it is that they like. So to do that, you need, I suppose, to go and read about things. I mean, there's so many videos uh, on podcasts, right? Like this one about people and they're telling us about what they do in the jobs. And then, and then in extension to that, go talk to them if possible, attend talks, attend, attend seminars. And obviously before all that, play with some robots. I really, really wish that schools include more of that extracurricular activities in terms of getting started with robotics. Universities are doing so much with outreach now, and, and I'm hoping that schools will embrace that more to expose all students to learning about this and playing and just have some hands-on experience. So once you started with that, hopefully then you can get a bit of a spark 
and then really then try to drill down what exactly it is that interests you. And, and for me, what really made it possible to merge myself into this career was the fact that through this, I could have a hand in making something impactful for society. And I think this can drive a lot of people. The fact that they're not doing science or technology for the sake of science and technology, but so that they can actually impact the fellow human beings to, towards the better. Yes, making the world a better place. We, we like that. And, and I suppose social media is a really good way as well. If there's somebody particularly interested in their work as well, then social media is a really good way of keeping track of what they're doing and keeping up to date. Yeah, that's a good point. For example, I use social media as a form of science communication whenever I have time. We're trying to obviously, in a way, show people what it is that we're doing, but also we are in the process of trying to make it a little bit less jargon, you know, convoluted and a bit clearer for anyone to understand. And what is coming up next and what are you excited about, Antonia? We have quite a lot of projects going on and a lot of new projects brewing at the moment. But I think in the next couple of months, we're going to do a couple of really interesting experiments and user studies in our projects. So one of the projects that we do is about improving the surgeon's performance when they're guiding needles, either for biopsy or for treatment of prostate cancer. So we are basically adding automation into this procedure. And we have already done all the modeling and that has proved that we can actually improve accuracy quite a lot. And now we're actually putting it into the test. We are inviting users to try our system and then try to compare the performance to the actual robot. And I think this will validate our models so far. And hopefully that will be something that the NHS can be using in the next few years to come to alleviate stress of surgeons, free up time for them to do something that can be done by a robot instead of having to have them there 30 minutes at a time uh, doing it. So that is really exciting because it's a research that is, let's say, quite ripe at this moment. And we also are doing another user study about space robotics. So we're trying to look at communication between Earth and the moon, uh, Earth and to the space station, or even Mars to a spaceship as well in orbit. So we're looking at teleoperation there, and we're looking at how can we improve teleoperation, especially when we have delays in communication. So when we have anything between a few milliseconds delay, even up to seconds delay, that you can imagine can make things really difficult for the operator to see something and to operate something that it's not exactly at the state that they see in front of them because there's this five second delay and we're trying to see how we can use the sense of haptic touch the sense of touch back to give feedback to the users to either improve what they're doing or to improve it even better so we're still looking at that but that involves again user studies again end users and this hopefully will be published in the next couple of months well, I am very excited to hear about that. So would it be all right for us to keep in touch with you and follow your progress? Yes, definitely. I'm hoping by, let's say, the end of summer to have something new, maybe even September or October. 
well. That's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Antonia Gemanaki. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. It's great for me too. Thank you. As Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is away at the moment, I'm bringing you the new stories in the written issue on her behalf. Stories include Dr. Jasmine Desmond is an analyst at National Grid ESO, working on developing models for the National Grid's future energy scenarios. She shares how technology, AI and machine learning are being leveraged to help achieve net zero in the UK by 2050. Dr. Nicola Thomas is a lecturer in work psychology at the University of Sheffield Management School. Her main research interests include how emotions impact people at work. She discusses balancing efficiency and responsibility when using AI in the workplace. And finally, Dr. Yuresha Patel is a clinical engineering lead at CMR Surgical, a global medical devices company based in Cambridge. The company is committed to working with surgeons, surgical teams and hospital partners to provide an optimal tool to make robotic, minimal access surgery universally accessible and affordable. Yuresha also features in a new exhibition in the New Engineers Gallery in the Science Museum in London, which opens on International Women's Day on the 23rd of June. So she gives us an advanced preview of what we can expect. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us in the next episode and written issue where we will be featuring male allies. 